welcome to our 65th show on Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are broadcasting today again via remote access so that in light of the COVID-19 health emergency, we can maintain our social distancing and still bring you today's show. Please be patient if we experience any technical glitches. We hope that everyone listening is safe and healthy and that they are doing what they can to protect themselves and our communities during this health emergency. Wealth Matters is presented to you by Gasowitz Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at a state dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Leanne Gilbert and Craig Frankel, partners with Gaslowitz Frankel. And today our topic is simplifying and managing your finances for when you age and beyond. And our guests today are Leah Nickerman, founder and president of Everyday Money Management, and Rachel Donnelly, founder and CEO of Black Dress Consultants. Leah, why don't you start and give us a brief overview of your business and what you do? Thank you very much. Well, first, I'd like to thank Craig and Leanne for having me on the show today. Uh, I am Leah Nickerman. Uh, I'm the owner of Everyday Money Management. We are a daily money management firm, primarily based in the Washington, D.C. area. So I know I'm out of your usual geographic area for guests. We uh, serve primarily senior citizens uh, and busy professionals, uh, helping them with their day-to-day financial affairs uh, leading up to death and beyond. So uh, we will be talking about that period of life today. How about you, Rachel? Good morning. Thanks, Craig and Leanne, for hosting me as well. Um, I am Rachel Donnelly. I am the founder and CEO of Black Dress Consultants, and we are an after-loss and end-of-life consulting firm. And to put it simply, we help individuals and families manage the unavoidable tasks and logistics of after loss and end of life. And at the end of the day, our main goal is to help give families the space to grieve and room to breathe. So let's start off kind of with what our aging loved ones face and, and really, that's true, you know, towards the end of life, but the exact same issues come up right after death as well. So, so um, Leah, what are some of the issues that, that our families face as they age, our parents and our loved ones? Well, generally, um, as we know, people are living longer. And so many people live very vibrant, active lives uh, well into their 70s um, and sometimes even into their 80s. But it is often the 80s where people tend to see Uh, the beginnings of mild to moderate cognitive impairment, the beginnings perhaps of some physical impairment. And these are the times when seniors themselves become anxious and families become anxious as well uh, because they're worried about making a mistake. They're worried about what they see a lot on TV about scammers and becoming a victim. And they are also in the world of in the online world when it's not they are not native to this world uh, of being online and so it's very confusing uh, for them to uh, deal with their paperwork with things that they're being asked to do online etc and so as uh, they may have trouble with memory etc they may forget passwords they may get confused so there's a lot of things related to their cognition really often which is what Um, drives people to make mistakes sometimes in their finances and in handling their affairs um, or just 
causes them to neglect certain aspects of their affairs and to get disorganized, even if they were previously an exceedingly organized person. Uh, we've had many clients who themselves were bookkeepers uh, and other types of professions that required an immense amount of organization. But as they've aged, it's become much harder for them to keep all that together. When you talked about online, I, I fall in that category of not really understanding it. But online stuff is so potentially the target of scammers and mistakes and they're very, very hard for family members to realize there was a mistake until it really is too late. So Rachel, when, when you've come in after a loved one has died, what kinds of things are you seeing where, gosh, I wish Leah or somebody else had been there to help out in advance? Yeah, uh, what I've experienced just in my own experiences with loss, being an executor and executrix two times around and then working with clients is that, you know, people don't know what to do and even where to start. And they, you know, they don't realize that about probating the will or establishing that estate banking account and that, you know, those, and that all of the online accounts that they have that are needed, need attention after the loss of a loved one. And you're speaking about, you know, digital presence and our digital estate is such a huge issue this, this, um, you know, in this day and age, the average online user has 207 online accounts. And so our, our digital footprint, our digital presence is so much larger than we think and paying attention to those online accounts and that presence online that can put loved ones or those, those who've passed on and those who are, have survived can put them at such risk uh, after that loved one is gone and making sure that you're buttoning up and taking care of that, not only that online presence, you know, but, but many other things. Leah, what can adult children do to help their parents before they pass? There are many things. It first starts with a conversation. So paying attention to the relationship in such a way that their parents will hopefully be willing to let them have a conversation with them about what they have, where it is, and how they manage it. And we often will help people in this regard. We come into their the lives of the seniors and their, their adult children in a way as a sometimes a liaison between parties and we will help that senior we to call understand. that mediation <laughs> yes to some degree although there's not yet quite a dispute it's really more of a of a um a resistance that we need to slowly uh, maybe wear down so that the senior understands that being transparent to the right people, maybe the person to whom they have given their power of attorney, the person who they ostensibly have said that they trust, right? They, they said it in a legal document, if you will, uh, but they haven't in practice given that person the information that they might need to know. So we will hopefully help massage that so that the, that the senior understands that by letting us have access to some of this information and giving us permission to share, right? we can share some of the key things that seem, that adult children need to know, which is where is the money? How much is there, right? Is there going to be enough? This is sometimes children can be quite surprised by the fact that the parents don't have enough money for the care that the, that the children want for them and they want for themselves. We yes. find a lot of times 
and I think you are too, that the documents they have are outdated. I distinctly recall when my mom was aging and she's been passed for a while and we looked at her documents and she had a power of attorney that only named my dad. And the reason why it was before I was born. Yes. And it was, it was frightening to see who the guardians were named for my family. And humorously, it turned out to be my mother-in-law who turned out to be my mother-in-law. She wasn't (laughs) at the time. Those weren't really great documents. So I do think when, when families come in, the, the documents, even if they're not intentionally wrong, are often very old and outdated, and they need to be brought up, particularly powers of attorney, as the laws have changed. Because one of the things about a power of attorney is it gives authority for somebody else to act. And the newer powers of attorney, and there's some form statutes, protect you. What happens if you make a mistake? What happens if someone takes advantage of you? So, Rachel, I ask kind of a similar question to you. When you start having those conversations, what are the kinds of things that come up that you realize, oh, my gosh, we made a mistake on it that you could fix in advance? Right. Well, and, you know, speaking of that, estate planning and end of life planning, as you know, is not a a one time thing. It's a continual um, process and relationship. And I think one of the biggest things that I've seen is aging parents not being very frank with their adult children and not having those conversations with them of here's what's going to happen when I pass. Because speaking about death is so taboo, we avoid it at all costs. We all share some discomfort. So therefore we avoid not only planning for ourselves, but also having those frank conversations about what our wishes are and who we are going to appoint to take over, um, you know, affairs after the loved one has has passed away, and you know, I've seen you know countless times and worked with clients where they're they're fighting over the stuff that has been you know left behind after the loved one has passed away because the parent wasn't proactive and and telling people, hey, this is what you're going to get, this is what you're going to get, and these are my wishes. And whether you like it or not, this is what I want. And, you know, not only in your will, but your memorial wishes. I had a client last summer whose her father didn't have a will and did not share that he wanted to be cremated. And that caused a lot of family issues. So not only with the financial and the legal, but with, you know, your memorial wishes and your legacy wishes. So I've seen countless times how, just having that conversation, even though it is, it can be awkward and uncomfortable. Could I just jump in also with just some practical things? Let's just assume that you've had the conversation, your parents on board. That is a big assumption. (laughs) But let's just say you got there. So what actually do you do? You, you go over to their house, ideally, if you know the pandemic allows, and you ask them if you, they could show you their statements and you start making lists. This is where the money is. This is what they have. You take your power of attorney, you get it on file at perhaps their financial institute, their main financial institutions, as well as the insurance company, as in medical insurance and Medicare. Um, these are things that you'll be so glad that you took care of that. And of course, you're going to ask them, as Craig was speaking about, you're going to ask to review their legal documents. 
their wills and powers of attorney. And if they are outdated, they should absolutely go uh, be reviewed by their attorney and be updated. And when it comes to a power of attorney, our I don't know how the law is different everywhere and banking institutions tend to do what they want to do. This is my experience of working with banks in that even if the power of attorney names the person you want to name and it's a, a, a good, you know, it's a good appointment, et cetera, it's just too old for them and they don't want to accept it and they're going to give you a hard time and you may have to get a lawyer involved there and that's costly. So the idea of trying to make these things easier, hopefully less costly, you won't need to interject with, with you know, have lawyers come in and, and have to have costly litigation that will, in order to do something that they could have solved more easily. And that gets also to the issue of capacity. If your parents seem like they are slipping, look at those documents because if any change needs to be made, it needs to be made before they lose capacity. Because after that, you are, you know, you're going to be into guardianship and conservatorship, and that's a costly and difficult process. And so, again, looking at those legal documents early and making sure that everybody knows who's appointed and whether and whether or not that's what they intended. And, 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 and let me highlight again something for you. If you've talked to your banker and you've given them the power of attorney, even if it's a tad old, it'll be on file and it's easier to trust. The, the concern from a bank um, is that this is somebody coming in to steal. Yes. And or that they've changed it nine times. But if you already have an ongoing relationship and this is where somebody can help you because it's, it's, it's kind of like a checklist for doctors. We're not doctors, or at least I'm not. Um, and we may not remember everything to do about fixing a wound. But somebody who does this can you can really prepare in advance. For those of you who are just joining us, I just want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Wealth Matters, which is presented to you by Gaslitz Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving your disputes involving wealth, whether through your will, trust, business, or investments. Um, Leah, I wanted to go back to something you mentioned before, which is the risk of um, our parents being subjected to scams and fraud. What can we do to prevent that? We are lucky to be living in an era of increasing fintech, financial technology. So essentially, somebody has to have eyes on their finances. Now, in my business, of course, people are hiring us, human beings, to go and review statements and to spend time with, their, with the, the senior and get to know them and essentially act as a personal assistant, if you will, a financial assistant to that, um, to that senior. However, um, family members who may live far away, maybe they can't get that done or they can't afford to hire somebody to do it. I think that it's really important for them to know that there are products out there, and I'll just mention a couple. One is called Eversafe, and the other is called Careful, C-A-R-E-F-U-L-L. -L. I'm not endorsing them in any way. I think you should go check them out. But they help, they essentially use machine learning to get to know somebody's spending patterns and then to provide alerts. Many of us are familiar uh, with this from our credit cards that sometimes send us alerts and say, did you mean to make that charge twice? Or are you sure this is more than you usually spend in this location? Are you sure this is yours? And we have to say yes or no. So essentially it's that type of machine learning that these apps do but they can allow somebody to relatively easily keep tabs on what's going on in the financial accounts. Now, 
dealing with the telephone is another issue. So this is a big issue that a lot of um, seniors run into is that they get calls from scammers and then they give out their numbers. So one thing actually I think is to really empower, especially if there's paid caregivers in the home, to empower those caregivers to let us to let somebody know if they overheard their their client giving the information over the phone because the quicker you get to those accounts and you're able to close them and open new accounts you hopefully you will avert less loss for the client and and well it's often not a loss so much for the client as it is for the bank as because they have to make that good but there is the issue of how what a hassle it is to have to close and open accounts and i've had to do this multiple times with clients who simply keep giving their information over the phone. So I think it's it's a combination of coaching our client or coaching your parent to not do that, writing them notes on their checkbook or on their credit card that say, don't, uh, I write on, on, a, on the credit card with a Sharpie, don't give this number out to anyone, you know? So that they, just to remind them and you hope, can, you can't be there 24 seven, maybe if you don't live with them, so you hope that they will uh, remember, you know, in the in the key moment, not to give that information away. And if they continually do that, then of course the failsafe is changing their phone number because now their that particular phone number is on um, what I call sort of the senior sucker list, if you will. And it be, and those that information, just like you know, stolen credit card numbers are passed around, you know among scammers, I'm pretty sure. And so that's how people get uh, multiple calls from other from lots of scammers. So cybersecurity is a huge issue right now among lawyers and everyone else. But I'm going to give you a cybersecurity hint that's humorous. So Alexa records everything. Yes. So if your parents have Alexa, listen to the commercial. If you're away, you can actually go back and hear what has been said in the house. So uh, ignoring my Snoopy little son who does the who's in college and laughs at our jokes or not, um, you can sometimes go back and hear how your parent is doing, sometimes just listening to how their, their voice goes. And you can see a level of, of, of coherence in what's happening. So I'm not suggesting you Snoop, but it does work. Rachel, I wanna to go to you. You had mentioned before digital assets. That's a, a, a kind of a newfound word. Tell, tell, tell our listeners, what actually is a digital asset? So your did, what we refer to as your digital estate is comprised of all of your digital assets. And think of this 20 years ago, our lives were on paper and in a file cabinet. Not so much anymore. These days, everything is in a cloud or on a device or on an external hard drive or in our phone. So to put it simply, think of... Uh, your everything from your phone to your computer, your laptops to your online accounts, whether you pay your power bill or your online banking, your social media, your Facebook account. And so all of those um, comprise your digital estate. And as I mentioned before, you know, the average internet user has 207 online accounts. And last year, I think the number two password was uh, was one, two, three, four, five, six. And the first one I think was password one. So not very secure when making sure that your online presence is protected and preserved. So not only to pre prevent some online um, hacking or you know thieves, but also to make sure that your digital footprint is preserved and, and taken care of in the way that you want. Do you know your mom's 
you know, Facebook password. And if she were to pass away, what would she want done with her Facebook account? What would she want, you know, to happen to her, you know, Pinterest account? You know, some things could be very innocuous, but there, these are real time issues in not only making sure that things are protected, but also making sure that things are taken care of in the way that you want, and that your wishes are um, preserved and, and documented for after you know you pass away. All I think 48 out of 50 states have some sort of legislation that gives executors the rights to digital property. And, and, and let me let me mention that for a minute because that means you need to update your wills because the the passage of the revised Uniform Digital Access uh, Access to Digital Assets Act yeah. is really easy. You riff yeah. up says that you can put in your will or your trust what you want as your access, but those only started being passed the last two or three years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think we've come a long way in, in the last 10 years. Nine years ago, I think there were only a handful of states. And now but let, let's fast forward. What happens if you didn't do all of that stuff and now your loved one has passed? How do you get access to this? I mean, even to know what's there, if they've been doing banking online, how are you going to find their assets? So what I tell clients is if they've lost a loved one, you know, and, and, and we can help with, with this, but, you know, at very least, hopefully they have their email password. And that's a great resource for going through and doing some digital forensic and looking through all of the accounts that they may have online. And um, if they have the unlock code to their phone, I strongly encourage our clients to get a password manager. And there are so many great ones out there. I've used several, Dashlane, I've used LastPass. There's, you know, that's not an endorsement either, but I've used some really great ones. And I think, you know, as long as you have one, I don't care what you use, just get one. Because like I mentioned, your digital estate is so much larger than, than you think. Make, make your loved one a qualified user yes. on that password protector with yes. disclosure. In other words, if my son, uh, my son's allowed to access these passwords, but if he does, I get notice. Um, yeah. Because technically, I just want to remind our listeners, once somebody passes away, all the authority to use their accounts goes away. It's illegal to access someone's computer without express written permission. Yeah. And, and even though you may have their passwords, the terms and conditions apply to that user and that company alone. I was been reading some stories about um, a woman who was murdered in Seattle and she was a photographer and her husband did not have her iCloud username and password. It took nine months in a court order in order for him to gain access to her digital property. And yes, he finally did get it, but that was, I can't even imagine not only losing your loved one, but having to fight Apple and buy the big company to gain access to your um, your loved one's property. And it is there. So, you know, just thinking through those things and we do offer digital estate um, inventories and audits where we can help you get those things organized and buttoned up. So so when you're when you're talking about digital assets, I, I do want to remind our listeners that there are often that's where your pictures are, not just necessarily the professional photographer. But this is where you might write your notes, your the the equivalents of things you want to tell your family. So, so Leah, let me let me go back to you. Um, you had said the, the the number one thing is to talk to your parents. 
it may just be our parents' generation that they're hesitant to talk about finances, but I often find that they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed that they haven't earned enough money. They're embarrassed that they have lost, they don't no longer have a handle on it. Uh, they're embarrassed that they don't know that they have 47 bank accounts. Um, how, how, how do, so other than the, the very sage advice, talk to your parents, how does one actually start that process? I think the best way to start that process, and this probably applies to any relationship, especially when there's potential for conflict or people feel very strong emotions, is that to ask questions and to commit yourself if, as the adult child to be a listener and to simply say, tell me a little bit about what's going on. Show, tell me what you, tell me why you and dad bought this annuity. Yeah, do you remember the guy who sold it to you? Yeah, what were you thinking that this would do for you when you did it instead of saying- Ask that question, what were you thinking without an attitude? Yeah, without an attitude, absolutely without an attitude, right? Not that kind of what were you thinking? I think it's really a matter of asking questions the way you might ask a friend. Let's say you have a friend who uh, maybe they've divorced and their finances are in a shatters and they ask you to help. You would come to them gently and kindly and say, tell me about this. And so then you come to understand that maybe they do have a weakness for the shopping channel or not. Well, Amazon is the new home shopping channel, I will tell you. And that, that this is where a lot of people who are spenders get, get uh, messed up. So I think it is a matter of asking some key questions, just understanding why, if they can even remember. Sometimes when people come, it is a little bit late in the process in that their family member doesn't have good memory. So asking them to remember something compounds their, their embarrassment. They say, oh, I know I should remember that. So be careful about asking people to remember things if you know that they can't remember. Instead say, do you mind if I take a look through your file cabinet, dad? I think I could probably figure out a lot of this stuff. I know you have it here. You've been such a great record keeper all these years. Look at, we have three file cabinets full of stuff. How wonderful. I'll go through it and see whether or not uh, we can figure out what you've got. And I'm going to make you a good list. Okay. I will say that Passwords is a good example. I totally agree with Rachel about having a password manager, but sometimes like my 86 year old mother, she's not going to be able to use a password manager very effectively, although she can do a lot on the computer. My, my daughter, her granddaughter sat with her and said, grandma, I'm going to put together a list for you that you can understand You know what's, what, what you need. And so she just cleaned up, reorganized the list tested things with her and did it in such a gentle way. So this is why you need to start early because these kinds of things take time in order to be gentle and to build trust. That's what we do. And we're coming in as complete strangers, right? So we also don't come in with baggage, but if the adult child could leave their baggage at the door and just come in and just with this feeling of, I'm gonna try to get some information so I can help. We are talking with Leah Nickerman and with Rachel Donnelly, and we're talking about simplifying and managing your finances for when you age and beyond. Now, Rachel, I interrupted you, go. No problem. No, I just wanted to say that, you know, I feel a part of, of my business is speaking to the sandwich generation, those who are in my age group who have aging parents and speaking to them about my experience. You know, I lost my dad when I was 16. I lost my mom when I was 34. And I like to say, friends don't let friends do the things that my parents left for me, the mess that I was left behind. So 
I like to counsel and coach those who are friends of mine and those who are peers of saying, go to your parents and say, listen, I have a friend who experienced X, Y, and Z, and I'm coming to you from a place of concern because end of life planning is the greatest gift you can give your family. And to leave that burden on me, on, on you know, that adult child is, is really a, a difficult position to put somebody in. So I, and even if they're, they're hesitant or they cut you off, keep trying, keep going back. And then also you can come to it from a place of, I want to learn more about our family and our legacy and those things that we want to pass down. And that can sometimes open the door to the more difficult conversations around financial uh, and legal conversations. So those are some ways that I like to advice I give clients and sandwich generation peers. For those whose parents did not do end of life planning, what are some areas that they may forget to check into after their parents pass? I'd say, you know, you know, one of the biggest things is, you know, not knowing their their uh, financial situation, not knowing that I was reading an article the other day that there are billions of dollars that are left on the table from um, insurance, unclaimed life insurance. I think 2016, $7.4 billion was left on the table in from the, the Florida insurance um, council. And so not knowing to, to look into death benefits or other things that may help, you know, to pay for end of life expenses and provide life insurance benefits that their parents, you know, may, may have, have paid for. And also to know that there are so many different options out there. Um, you know, the average uh, funeral in the U.S. I think costs $9,000. So, you know, birth, marriage, and death are the three most expensive events in the life of a family. So knowing that you, you left off start, college, <laughs> I meant the life of, I guess, a family, but yes, I agree. But knowing that you can press pause and speak to someone like Leah, speak, you know, to, to someone like Craig and press pause and say, you know, I don't have to pay all of these bills right now. I think that that's one of the biggest things is People I've seen, you know, adult children pay bills for their parents who've passed away out of their own pocket and just pressing pause and knowing that you don't have to make every decision and do everything at that moment. And also that that stuff is stuff and, you know, you don't have to keep everything that was in your parents' house um, and that you can hire people to help you if you're the appointed executor or fiduciary of your parents' estate, you can hire uh, people to come in and provide services. So let's let's do that practical. You can hire somebody. Someone just hired you. Their loved one just passed away and you've come in and they, they are smart enough to realize that you are a bargain. What is the first five things that you're going to do for this this family to make it easier for them? Right, right. So what I do is we have an intake process and we have a consultation with the family and talk about, hey, I call it the magic wand conversation. Okay, what is the situation, you know, going through that estate planning and end of life list? Did they have a will? Did they have a trust? Did they have, you know, all these things? So sort of doing an audit and inventory of all those things. And then what is currently happening right now? 
And what are what is keeping you up at night besides the loss of your parents or loss of your parent or loved one? But what are the things that I could take off your plate? If I could do the magic wand and take away three things off of your plate right now, looking at the whole situation and me looking at the bird's eye view and then coming back and saying, okay, here are some blind spots that I've noticed. And here are some ways I think we need to take care of that. And then I, if they say, oh, I'm, you know, I need to, I need an attorney. I need, you know, someone to probate the will. If, if reaching out to my extensive network of professionals and serving as that conduit and pulling all those pieces together and taking those tasks off those out their place. So I'm not a coach. I'm a consultant. I'm going to tell them the way that I would do things if it were my loved one. And like I said, thinking through the tasks and the, the logistics that they may, they don't know, they don't know. And let's, let's remember that you're doing this a lot. Most of us, fortunately, only have to do it once or twice. And so we may not be perfect the first time or remember everything we need to do, but you know what we need to do and you can tell us. Let's switch to, to, to Leah. You know, that we have the, the, our, our listener is smart enough to come to you in advance. The parent is a good listener and they say, yes, we're going we're gonna to bring somebody in and to help us out in advance. What are the top five things that you're going to want to do for that family first? Well, similar to uh, Rachel's company, we have a discover. The first thing is a discovery process, and it's it's a discovery for everyone usually when we finally have a list of what the money is, where it is. And now I'm speaking to the lawyers who write trusts right now. So oftentimes our clients will come; they have a trust, and we feel that it's our job to help make sure that they have funded that trust appropriately. In other words, that they have put everything that they intended and you, the attorney, intended to be in the trust in order to avoid probate is actually titled in the name of the trust. Some clients have done an amazing job or their, their law office or their financial advisors has made sure that they have gotten it done, but some people leave some stuff out. You're so generous. You use the word some. Most people leave it out. Most people have titling or beneficiary problems. The majority of people we see have some mistakes. Yes. So we're going to be checking those beneficiaries and checking the titling and checking back with the legal professional to make sure that this is this is how it should be. We are not lawyers. We don't know. So we we know what we don't know. And I think this is very important for to know about daily money managers, at least, is that we try to swim in our lane and we are going to facilitate the legal work, the insurance work, the financial management, as in the management of the investments, but we are not actually people who provide advice about those things. And so um, our job is often helping the client get it done and get it done correctly. So after our discovery, uh, then if we have been hired to help to sort of be a part of that person's financial life and help with bill paying, then we are going through a process of automating, if they're willing, automating some bills, simplifying in, and nowadays that often means automating things and uh, reducing the number of accounts that they have, uh, closing accounts that they don't need anymore to make it easier for Rachel to, you know, to help people at the, at the very end. And we also do help people at death and beyond. So, so there's discovery and what we call simplification. But then for us, we often, if it's early enough, we're into what we just call a maintenance mode where we help our clients month in and month out paying their bills, right? And nowadays, like tax time, 
right? The month of March is our biggest month. We're busiest because we are end of February and beginning of March, we're getting tax packages together for our clients' um, accountants. So an accountant always gets a good tax package from a, a daily money manager, whether it's us or any other, it's probably one of the most organized things they've ever seen coming from their client. So, um, so in that sense, we are stepping into at least a part of the role that the client themselves was doing. We're helping them manage actual paper. And we're saying, okay, let's, let's put this in the file, right? If we're in person, if not, we're throwing that in our scanner and we are making digital files that then we share with them or with their uh, power of attorney or anyone else that they have in written, uh, a written agreement that we can share with them. So helping people stay on top of their files, their documentation, if you will, um, is key. And nowadays, more often than not, we're doing that digitally. So for example, if you were looking for veterans benefits, guess what you need? You need a DD-214. What's a DD-214? That's the discharge papers from the military. And yes, could you go get it if you have to? Yeah, but it will take time and it's a hassle and you may have to pay a professional to help you. So, so many of these things, if you have a, the DD-214, you know where it is? Isn't that great? So a lot of what we are doing, it's similar to going to the hospital where when you are admitted, the discharge planner starts working on your discharge, right? And it's the same basic thing with daily money managers, at least in my firm, is that when we take you on, if you're a senior, we are always planning for your incapacity or con continued incapacity and then your death. We want to make sure that you're ready. So we're going to try to get as many ducks in a row um, for you so that at the end, it's not as hard as it would be. And again, just like Rachel, you, you're just focusing on your relationship and the grieving, and you're not focusing on the money because you know that that's gonna be handled. And, and let, me, let, me, let me also talk about that. The, the thing that I find so helpful in what both of you do is it takes the burden off the family to be the bad guy. Yes. And it takes the burden off of conflict between siblings and sometimes it's step siblings and stepmothers and fathers and two or three generations. It allows you to focus on the important things, but not have to be the, the bearer of bad or sad or dear, different or whatever news and lets you focus on the other things. Can I also just say, uh, I've been in business for 15 years um, and we've been involved in litigation three times. None of it focused on us, luckily, but it was most often family members fighting over a power of attorney. One of the things that the power of our testimony had to do with the quality of our documentation and the fact that we had records of what was being done to take care of this person's finances and that they were being well cared for, et cetera. And so oftentimes we've had attorneys refer families to us who are in conflict and we aren't afraid of working with families in conflict. You know, you have to you have to have the stomach for it, for sure. Craig and Leanne know that. Isn't that redundant? Yes. But anyway, in order to have a, a neutral third party essentially doing the bookkeeping, paying attention to the data, because then the, the lawyers uh, really, the, 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 at least on one side, certainly has the ammunition that they need to make their case. So um, I think in that sense, I, 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 it's not something that we deal with very often. A lot of times we try to help people manage their relationships so that it doesn't come to that. Uh, but if that, if all else fails, you know, we're going to be the ones with the data. So as we come to the end of the show, 
we have so much more to talk about, but if our listeners want to contact one of you, hopefully early on to plan for the discharge, as Leah says, somewhat colorfully, how, Rachel, how would, how would a listener contact you? They can visit my website or our, our website at blackdressconsultants.com where they can schedule a complimentary consultation via our website. Our phone number is there. You can also find us on Instagram at Black Dress Consultants, um, on Facebook. And so please feel free to reach out, schedule that complimentary consultation, and we are happy to step in and help in any way. And Leah? Yes. Uh, so we are uh, on the web at everydaymoneymanagement.com. So just all those words spelled out. And there you can send us a message. And it is very likely that I will call you back and chat with you. I'm always happy to talk with family members and uh, with their uh, professional team, lawyers, accountants, financial advisors, care managers who just want to even just get some ideas for how to move forward often with a, with a family member who whose situation is quite difficult. So um, I really love, you know, putting my mind to work for people's situations. And if it turns out that it's a, it's a good fit for daily money management, then hopefully we can also serve the client. But even if it's not a case for daily money management, I'm more than happy to share some of the tidbits that I've learned in serving seniors for all these years. At, at Gasowitz Frankel, we've handled lots of fiduciary disputes regarding families. And one of the biggest problems we have is lack of information, which causes conflict sometimes really that where there really isn't a problem, but the failure to know the answer or give the answer or be able to put your fingers on the answer causes oftentimes unnecessary conflict. And on the other hand, when there is disclosure in advance, it will often minimize the potential for future conflict. So, so being on top of things is a great thing. As we wrap up our show, I want to thank everybody for listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities of ch and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gasowitz Frankel, please go to our website at gasowitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Use our show's hashtag, Wealth Matters. Our guests today were Leah Nickerman, founder and president of Everyday Money Management, and Rachel Donnelly, founder and CEO of Black Dress Consultants. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X. Mm -hmm.